This is no April Fool's joke. Our March membership campaign was so successful that we're extending it through the entire month of April. Enjoy 50% off the regular monthly or annual membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code NOFOOLING, one word, to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content, an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. This is a limited time offer, so act now. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code NOFOOLING to receive 50% off. Thank you. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. I am your host, David Rothkopf, and we are here today uh, with two friends so that we can have a conversation about uh, uh, all issues that pertain to intelligence. We've been wanting to do this for a while. Uh, it's kind of an experiment. We think it's uh, it's a big issue and we think it's undercovered uh, or maybe not covered in exactly the right way. I am joined by Mark Polymeropoulos and John Seifer, both of whom are veterans of the Central Intelligence Agency uh, with uh, long experience uh, overseas and here at home. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, David. Nice to see you. Nice to be here. And Mark, Mark is a longtime colleague and friend, so it's always nice to see him. Well, it's uh, it's uh, a, a, something I know a little bit about from having followed you guys uh, in your appearances in the media and on uh, Twitter and uh, the things that you have written. Uh, and uh, what the audience doesn't know is that I thought, oh, well, these guys are really interesting. I'd really like to go and talk to them and pick their brains a little bit one day. And I, so I sent you both an email and you said, oh, let's let's have lunch. And and then Mark John said, let's let's have lunch at the Vienna Inn. And I, you know, which is in Vienna, Virginia. And it's a pretty unassuming place. Why did he make us do that? <laughs> yeah, Mark's been through a lot in his professional life and a lot of hard places and dangerous places. Uh, but one of the things that uh, he's always felt a kinship to is his home in Vienna, Virginia, which is a, essentially a bedroom community outside of Washington. But there is a dive bar there that's long been known as sort of a CIA haunt. And he lives nearby. And so that tends to be the place where he does business. He sets up and people come through to see him there. They sell his book there. They got stuff from him on the walls there. It's kind of, it's kind of gross in that sense. But otherwise, it's a, it's a, it's a great place. I will say that I wore a Vienna Inn baseball hat during an entire year when I was chief of a paramilitary base in eastern Afghanistan, and that hat hangs on the wall right now um, uh, in the in the VI. If you the, the famous old Talabar, which was the bar in in, in the station in Kabul, um, uh, which is which also has legendary status, someone had actually taken a Vienna Inn T-shirt and put it up on the ceiling, and so there's there's certainly a, a connection to to the agency. 
Um, uh, you know, it's a lot of, it's a place where a lot of us kind of would meet when we come back from overseas tours. There's hardly a day when you go in there, you don't see someone either for current or, or, or former agencies. So, you know, it's a, it's the, it's the cheers of the, uh, of the, of the intelligence community of, of the agency, but it also is the heart of Vienna, Virginia too, which is a nice little town, um, uh, outside of DC. So, it, and it, I think it is my office now, John is right. Yeah. Well, um, it's not the food that brings people there. <laughs> Although I do like the chili dogs, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Famous and they have birch dogs. beer on tap, which I like birch beer. I don't know why, but I do. Well, folks, if you're in the middle of Vienna, Virginia, and you see a divey place um, full of unsavory looking characters, that's the cheers of the intelligence community. And you'll probably find Mark in there. And if you don't, you'll find something he wore on the walls, which I don't know if that recommends any <laughs> restaurant, but... but um, one of our, I remember you know, we're from just, New York, David, one of our former um, heads of the clandestine service, Mike Sulik, met his wife and proposed to her in Tampa Keg. I don't know if you remember that's in Upper, upper West Side. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I went to Columbia yeah. and Tampa Keg was a Columbia. Which is even Columbia. more of a dive and nastier than the Vienna Inn, just to be, just to be clear. And, and I went to Columbia for graduate school, too. I used to go to V&T's for pizza more than I went to the... V&T, yeah. I, Went to VNT's a week ago. Oh, it's the it's the place. VNT's Pizza is the place in New York City. You know, we're giving you a lot of culinary tips. Here. <laughs> let me shift to some of the some of the news, and let me just pick up on the um, Afghanistan reference. I'm going to go to a couple of different places here, but uh, I'll, I'll just pick up on that because I saw a um, uh, 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 story uh, yesterday. I guess. Uh, from uh, the, uh, the inspector general that tracks the money being spent in Afghanistan. Uh, and he, he said, I can't at this point guarantee uh, that some of the money that we are pumping in there is not going directly to the Taliban. And I was just wondering, given your experience there, how that made you feel? Well, I mean, I think there's that that that. A lot of emotions come from that because, you know, first and foremost is, is, you know, the kind of the pace and what happened with the withdrawal. And that's a whole very kind of sensitive subject. And I have pretty strong views on that. And, you know, John and, and David, you might you might differ. But um, but it's also uh, a, a notion of, you know, there, there is a sense that we should have some kind of accounting um, on, on money that was spent there and also what's happening now in terms of aid and assistance going in. And, you know, it's interesting. I wrote I wrote something a couple of weeks ago. Um, for the uh, for the Washington Examiner, I have a weird kind of place in in this kind of foreign policy blob where I where I have, uh, I'm an on air MSNBC national security and intelligence analyst for MSNBC, but I also write for the Washington Examiner. So it means I everyone's pissed at me about something all the time. But but I I, I put my the, the title of my piece was an Afghan fairy tale, and I was really pissed, frankly, probably not a good thing, David. You know this. It's you're never good to write when you're angry. But I was pissed at, at that NSC statement of several weeks ago, which in essence blamed the entire Afghan withdrawal on the Trump administration. And I thought that was it, it was it was it was incorrect because there's blame to go around everywhere. But it also um, uh, seemed to me to be just far too far too not only far too political, but far from reality when we all saw with our eyes what was happening there. Um, and so I put this this the IG report that you just referred to kind of in the in the context of what an utter mess this whole thing turned uh, turned into. I mean, clearly this is going to be an issue now. And so any any time that something comes out in which some kind of malfeasance occurred in Afghanistan, you know, um, uh, you know, one side or the other is going to is going to pounce on this. I, I, I assume that uh, the Republicans are going to be all over this uh, uh, shortly. But 
Um, we haven't heard the end, the last of this for sure. Well, you know, the Republican Party is focusing on its top priorities today, having put forth legislation to keep transgender athletes from competing against women. Yes. And, you know, we know that is a huge national security in Afghanistan, for the United too. States. And, <laughs> yes. yeah, no, could yeah. could be a very large Particularly, issue. in fact, particularly the Afghan uh, national team. Never forget uh, yeah. that. Yeah, no, it's a serious issue. They've they've really got their priorities straight. And I'm, I'm sure they do over at the Washington Examiner. But, uh, you know, John, I, I think you and I may have had a couple of exchanges on this subject on... Uh, on Twitter, you and I usually agree on things, uh, but I seem to recall this was when we didn't because I was one who said the important story here is that we're leaving Afghanistan and we should be leaving Afghanistan. And it's about time we're leaving Afghanistan. And I'm sorry that the exit was ugly, but the main story is that we get out. But clearly a lot of people felt that was not just the main story. Mark clearly does not. So what's what's your take? Yeah, well, first thing is, yeah, on Twitter, we are no longer blue checkmark people, just as of today, just so you are aware. Nobody, Wait, are you nobody is. Hold on. No, all the blue checkmarks check? were sent into outer space on the SpaceX <laughs> the rocket. They blew up that, today, yeah. I still have up. it. I, I'm still blue. I still got a blue checkmark. Yeah, How about they, that? They, they said they were going to take them down, but apparently they haven't yet. So, yeah, the Afghanistan thing, it's, it's, it's a difficult issue because I, I served in, in Pakistan nearby and had been to Afghanistan. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's visceral to us who worked with those very people and worked in that issue for, for years and years. And, so there, and also there's more nuance to this. I mean, there has been a mess all along. When you talk about, oh, money might be going to the Taliban now, I hate to say this, but money's been going to the Taliban the entire time. The way we got goods and, and military goods and everything into Afghanistan is we shipped them through Pakistan up through the Khyber Pass and had to essentially pay off the Taliban so that so that stuff could get in. So we were often paying money to the very people that we ended up fighting. So there, there's 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 a lot to go over. There's a lot to accountability. There's a lot of accountability as to a number of administrations. Um, I am very much you know I would I had no interest in being a public person whatsoever. And only started to write and talk and do these things because I thought Donald Trump was a, was, a, was a real danger to the American people. And he's made the Republican Party in, into that. And so I almost probably 99% of the time do agree with you, David. But that doesn't mean that they had to mishandle the pullout. You can make a good argument, and I think everybody should, that we were there too long. We should have left years earlier. Maybe even we shouldn't have sent it into the big military in the first place. There's a lot to learn from Afghanistan. And it's and it's nuanced. There's not like an easy answer. Like this should have happened, that should have happened. Um, a lot of smart people have been in and through that for for a long time. But you know, it's hard as an American to see the the, the chaos and the loss of lives and leaving behind people that that protected our people and cared for our people, and then say that that was good in some way. I mean, I I would support Biden over you know any Republican at this point, certainly. Um, but in this case, I thought they mishandled it. Is it true that the Trump administration set them up for failure? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that everything was do done well in this case. So I'm not trying to say that this is political and therefore it's a Democrat problem rather than a Republican problem. But uh, it was to, to essentially lose to the to the Taliban, to have essentially no embassy in Afghanistan now. Every other country has an embassy there. How you know if we're trying to track funds to the Taliban, we have there's no Americans there to do that. I don't understand that. So there's a lot of things to be frustrated with related to Afghanistan. 
Um, and it doesn't all have to be political necessarily. We're involved in this, said it was a giant mess. So the, one of the things I didn't understand that the administration was doing was, first of all, trying to blame it entirely on the Trump, uh, Trump team. But number two, just not acknowledging reality. That seemed to me a, a, an own goal. Interestingly enough, um, this seemed to, you know, they seem to have been saved by this. First of all, this statement was put out on a Friday afternoon, which is always what they anyone tries to do to bury a story. But number two, then kind of the whole leak issue, the DOD leaks issue exploded. And so this kind of got pushed off the headlines. But I think that, it, it, you know, out of anything that the it, that and there's not much that the Republicans are going to put forth in terms of hearings and this other other kind of legislative uh, or the the theatrical nonsense you know, the hearings on the Afghan withdrawal, I think, are legitimate. And, uh, and, and that's about the only thing I can think of in which there, there does need to be some oversight and some answers um, that the American people deserve. Uh, yeah, no, no question about it. I would say, by the way, that treating uh, our allies on the ground badly is something, once again, both parties have done a lot of. And uh, uh, in my last book, in looking at how the Trump administration tried to impose a Muslim ban that turned its back on people that helped us in Iraq um, uh, was also pretty gross. So I, there's there's a lot to look at here. Uh, as you uh, prophetically just mentioned a moment ago, the leak story pushed this story uh, uh, out of the news. And I'm going to do the same thing here uh, and shift to the to the to the leak story just because uh, this is uh, the world you guys have dealt with. And there's a lot of facets to the story. There's a facet that there was this 21-year-old kid who um, uh, decided to show off to his friends by dumping a bunch of stories. There's a facet that he was instantly arrested when the former president of the United States, uh, who also illegally had a bunch of classified documents, classified at a higher level, was not. There's a facet that some of the stories reported on us spying on our allies and some you know, unsettling behavior by some of those allies. So it was a kind of a, a rich story. And then there was another facet, which is, you know, how do we treat classified um, uh, uh, documents in the United States? We classify something like 70 to 80 million documents a year. Is that too many? Could we do that better? Uh, so let me start with you, John, and then go to you, Mark, and get your reactions to the overall story. Yeah, you brought up a lot of issues, and there's a lot of issues, so we can sort of dive in on any one of those type of things. It is indeed true we have a massive national security infrastructure. Um, there's a massive, you know, use of of, of, cl of classified information. Uh, there's a perhaps too many people with, with too much access to very sensitive in intelligence. There's, you know, the relationship, what happened with 9-11, there was, became the narrative that we didn't share intelligence enough. And so now you could easily look at this and say, are we sharing it too widely? Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff to, t t to touch on. And I think we will probably through our discussion here. But the one piece I want to point out is, is, you know, there's sort of been this back and forth with a number of people always, oh, why would this young officer have this? And should he have this? And, um, you know, I'm going to come up with a little bit of a snarky thing because I grew up in the Central Intelligence Agency in the intelligence community, and our job is to provide intelligence to those who can take action on that intelligence, whether it's in the Department of Defense, it's the you know, Security Council, it's the White House, the administration, the Department of Energy, whoever needs the information, our ambassadors overseas. Um, but the Defense Department has sort of created this system where the the senior colonels, generals, and admirals are you know almost treated like these sort of 
you know, warlords where they have people mow their lawns and take care of them and put together, you know, all of their information for them. And they hire these young people often right out of high school to put together, you know, intelligence pieces for them so that they can look at them. Now, it's not the case in the rest of the community, in the, in the State Department and in the intelligence community. You know, if you're working on Russia issues, you you get access to what you need to see. But that doesn't mean you're seeing what's happening in Egypt and in South Africa and in China necessarily. But what we saw from this leak is this young, this young airman was getting these these J two uh, information briefs, which on, essentially on one piece of paper had sensitive intelligence about South Korea, about listening into the chairman of the UN's discussions about you know Egypt and what they're selling or not selling, about riots in in Israel, about order of battle things in. Ukraine. Now, uh, there are senior people in the Pentagon who need to have that wide of an access, but this thing is distributed way too widely. There's no way that, you know, people working on one issue or another need that breadth of intelligence. And it just sets us up for danger for when you have a million people with access to intelligence, there's going to be some subset of them who are either incompetent, stupid, or, or, malign actors and and we're going to have problems like this i don't think this problem is something that's going to gravely harm the united states or gravely harm the war effort in ukraine but you know as an intelligence professional it's it's frustrating to see oftentimes how intelligence is is mishandled mark i thought i read somewhere that you said something slightly different to this that you didn't think the problem was the distribution um, and you didn't think this guy shouldn't have had this information. Do I have that wrong? So, so I have a little bit of guilty knowledge in the sense that I do know this unit, uh, and, and you know, this, this amazingly enough, you know, Cape Cod, Massachusetts becomes the center of the intelligence world. I, I never thought I would say that, and of course, I've enjoyed saying that over and over again because it's a nice line. But, but ultimately, this Air National Guard unit did have, uh, and I was familiar with it from uh, not only not really from my my role at the agency, but two years prior, they they actually called me and asked me to do a leadership talk to them. I never did it. Maybe oh, I should have. I, I was going to say, good job. Nice, <laughs> it, nice it work. <laughs> um, you know, if they if they had bought my book, you know, maybe the, this wouldn't <laughs> happen. No, but 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 ultimately, they uh, they did have responsibility um, for for a couple of things. One was uh, intelligence support to what we call ISR, intelli- uh, intelligence surveillance and, and reconnaissance operations. But number two, they switched recently to supporting uh, the UCOM, the European Command Area of Operations. And in fact, they were helping prepare some of these slides for senior leaders. So it's not outlandish. Um, also, you know, having this a 21-year-old kind of, in essence, IT guy and, and you know, and with admin access, not terribly unusual in the sense that sometimes people with those admin privileges do have the keys to the, to the kingdom there. And so, so, it, uh, and then the last piece in terms of age. Look, I just got back from the Naval Academy. I gave some lectures there, and some of the some of the professors there at the academy were, and the midshipmen too, were saying, "Look, you know, there's 19 year olds who take who take care of nuclear reactors on a on a nuke sub." And so, so ultimately, the age thing. Um, uh, there's a lot of people in the U.S. military uh, who are given extraordinary responsibility. So that's true, and they do great things with it, but they don't need access to information about around the world on other kinds of things. It's just that's just bad stewardship. What it was is this was the executive update that's given to the chairman, and so so for whatever reason, this intel unit had some responsibility there. But I think that it does go, you know, so so does someone with kind of admin access who is responsible for for keeping the systems up? Do they need to be able to read what's on it? I think DoD is going to take a look. A couple of things on this, um, and, and, and uh, first of all, on big picture though, the national security 
media, you know, journalists who I really like and respect, and I'm definitely not going to name names because these are my friends now, but they lost their collective freaking minds on this. They were saying off the bat that this was worse than Snowden, that our allies were outraged, um, that bilateral relations were going to be affected. None of this is true and none of this occurred. And, and, I, and, I, and I was, I've been pretty vocal about this saying this is serious because I think some of our signals intelligence streams are going to be going to be affected. Um, but as John pointed out very correctly in, in some of the things that he said is the crown jewels on, on any of this stuff, whether it's signals intelligence or human intelligence, are not put in this update. So everyone take a breath. Um, number two, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, there, there are no, thankfully, uh, human intelligence sources at risk here from what I've seen. So, you know, unlike some of the serious spy scandals in the past, um, no one's going to no one's going to die from this. And that that to me is the kind of the catastrophic part of it. So you put it in perspective. Is it bad? Yes. A little bit embarrassing. Um, but some of the commentary, I think, has been wildly off the mark. And I've you know, I've been pretty vocal in trying to correct some of that. Um, uh, look, the, the thing that that concerns hey, me, the don't most, hey, don't 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 give a, give a pass to Marjorie Taylor Greene either. That's a good point. Right, right, right. Um, no, of course not. This is serious. Look, look. Teixeira should go to jail. He's a traitor. Um, but, but I think he, the the real thing here, and this is a great discussion, and because we are not going to solve this, is that we have an extremism problem in the U.S. military, and nobody wants to admit this because it becomes political. And so, when John and I, and and David, perhaps you know, you know, you, when you were in government too, when if you had if you had these these clearance uh, or these background investigations, what they ask you? Are you a communist? Are you a terrorist? They never asked you if you were a domestic extremist. Um, and so this guy, and if you, if, you, you know, if you see the reporting as he was on these chat rooms, he was, he was an anti-Semite, he was a racist, he was kind of doing a lot of, lot of kind of alt-right kind of stuff. Well, if, you know, and, and by the way, DOD should be able, should ask these kind of questions now when FBI Director Chris Ray says domestic extremism is one of our biggest national security challenges. But the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the, the hard right in, in, in the Republican Party is going to go batshit with this. And so I don't know how we fix what is a serious security issue. Um, and to me, that's the biggest concern because there's definitely more of these folks out there. As I talk to my friends in the U.S. military, you know, they say this is a problem. But but I think collectively we're not going to be able to, to, to tackle it because the right is going to scream privacy and censorship and all these kind of things. When in reality, um, uh, uh, you know, some of these people absolutely do not deserve security clearances or should have anything to do with kind of na- the national security state. Well, I don't want to open up a can of worms. Well, actually, I do want to open up a can of worms here because it's not it's not just the military where there is a right wing extremism problem. It's also law enforcement. Um, and I, I know the agency always has the most benign view of the FBI possible. Um, uh, but, you know, we've already seen some examples within the FBI and within the Secret Service where it does seem that there were deep biases associated with right wing extremism there. Um, uh, but I don't see any moves afoot either taking place or even possible to take place, John, in the current atmosphere against this particular problem that we've got. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, now that we've been watching this kind of behavior and how, you know, politics has become tribal in this country, there are different kinds of people. There are people who end up in law enforcement or in the military who, you know, have different set of values of what is more important to them than others and then people who end up in academia or journalism or whatever and that's that's normal but what has happened is we have politicians who have start to believe that their real enemies are their domestic opponents rather than foreign enemies and therefore they think it's okay to say anything they want about their domestic political 
adversaries. And there's a lot of people out in the country who take their tack from that. And they, they think that that's okay. And it benefits those politicians, you know, the anger and the getting people riled up has always been, has been something that is, is helpful fear and anger and and for politics. But I, I think in some hands, in many ways, these politicians are now putting people, pushing people over the line from being, you know, consumers and sitting in front of their TV from being angry to taking actions that are violent, dangerous, and sometimes treasonous. And so this is a, it's a real problem. And it stems from the people who've given that Marjorie Taylor Greens and others who are giving the right to these people to take actions that are anti-American and, and, and frankly, very dangerous. So it's a real problem and it, it needs to be addressed. And the problem is, yeah, those same politicians will attack the public servants who are trying to follow the law and make sure that our our agencies are 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 doing their best to keep Americans safe. Yeah, Mark, do you see any steps being taken to address this at all? No, I, again, I don't see how, uh, you know, I, I think that people would might, may want to, but it's going to be too political. So again, so the standard uh, security processing, uh, and by the way, so, you know, local law, law enforcement in this area too, they get background investigations. You know, the, the Fairfax County Police Department gives polygraph exams. I guarantee you, though, they do not give anything on this exam has to do with uh, the notions of, 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 of domestic extremism. I mean, I even go back to, to thinking about uh, our, our political leaders. Um, uh, you know, you, you have Marjorie Taylor Greene or, or, or even, you know, Donald Trump, and even saying things such as, you know, showing affinity um, for Vladimir Putin or for President Xi. If John or I did this in our reinvestigation process, if we said, oh, my goodness, you know, to our, our background investigator that, you know, by the way, I think Vladimir Putin's great. You know, there's someone waiting for our badge out, outside the room. And so uh, the, the background checks, I think, are, are just are, are broken uh, completely. And so um, what's going to be interesting after these and there's going to be congressional hearings, you know, uh, uh, you know, Chairman Turner on, on Hipsy has already said he's going to have hearings on what happened here with the with the DOD leak. But it's going to be interesting to see as we talk about reforming the security processes, how do you put those questions in that you need to um, without kind of having the right, the, the, you know, totally freak out about it and seeing the kind of the political machinations of the country, I think that we're going to get to a place where there's total inaction, which goes, again, to not solving the problem. One other, one other thing that's, that I find really interesting is how do you, in terms of, of continuing to monitor someone for access to classified information, deal with people who are on these gaming sites or, or go on these, you know, secure, uh, you know, uh, chat rooms? Does that mean you have to actually pass, give the password to uh, to your security investigator. Well, I think there's huge privacy concerns on that. And so I'll, I'll kind of close on all of this is, and, and this is not to kind of excuse anything is that, but, but you know, I trusted John, shockingly. No, I really did. Uh, I trusted John at the CIA. First of all, I just, David, I got to throw it. He was one of my instructors down the farm. So, so anything I ended up in my life, you know, he kind of birthed me. So he looks so, very, you know, he looks John. very well preserved for somebody. That he does. Way. And so he, we have great stories from our, our time down there, but but ultimately, there's a level of trust, and sometimes that trust is violated. And we're, ne- you know, it's it's a there's there's the kind of the the notion of the frailty of the human condition. Like sometimes there are bad apples, and people are going to go bad. And so it's it's steps that are that you're going to take to mitigate that. And how we mitigate the domestic extremism problem is something that that I'm I'm, I'm super concerned that we're never going to tackle. But just again with the notion that you know these things happen. That's why John and I, when this first started, I called John up and we were chatting about it, and he's like, you're always like. You know, don't throw stones in glass houses like the military screwed this up. But guess what? John and I were at CIA when we had some serious doozies. 
And, uh, and, and so, uh, and so these things unfortunately happen in the national security world, you know, uh, and, and it's, it's how you kind of react now, how DOD reacts is going to Well, be that's why you got to be able to take, you know, like we were criticizing the administration over Afghanistan. We were criticizing the Department of Defense over this thing. I would criticize my work and our work in CIA over a number of things. If you're a serious public servant in a national security space, you have to take accountability for things. You have to be rough on yourself and on your colleagues because you need to get this thing right. This is life and death, and this is national security. And, and I worry, like Mark does, Mark's points are great, that we need to be able to, when there's a problem like this, you need to take action and find accountability without having it become politically weaponized. Because once it gets into that game of political weaponization against each other, then all of the things that you need to do for serious agencies to to, to cleanse themselves and, and, and improve themselves go out the window. And so it's, it's a very, it's a very dangerous thing. I want to follow up on this because I got a couple more questions on it. This is the point normally in our podcast where we take a break and we say to everybody's in the general public, thanks for joining us. If you want to listen to the rest of the podcast, sign up and become a member at the DSRnetwork.com uh, uh, and support more conversations like this one, which I find fascinating. Um, and uh, if you are a member, just stand by. We'll continue in moments.